0: Good morning. This is Father Caleb Miller with Emmanuel Anglican Church, March 29th, 2020, coming to you with morning prayer. As we begin this morning, I would like to uh, offer a couple of announcements for us this morning just to keep us sort of on the same page and to think through some things together. I'd like to offer some encouragement uh, for you as well. First off, I'd like to uh, say that. Uh, During this time of physical isolation, it's incredibly important for us to remain in touch. Our elders are systematically working through the parish directory, contacting families and individuals. We are maintaining contact with our Alpha guests and uh, with the kids from the Gospel Project. We have the capability of contact through Facebook, Zoom, email, text, and if you feel like it, there's a new technology called Talking on the phone. Uh, please keep in touch with one another. It's really important for us to contact our family, our friends, our neighbors, our church friends, our church family, our net groups, our small groups. It's really important, so please do keep in touch with one another. Secondly, I'd like to encourage you to uh, invest in spiritual disciplines. It's vital uh, to the Christian life to read our Bibles, to pray, to join in corporate worship. And while the use of live streaming and Zoom are not what we want, we praise God that we have them. Through them, we can connect with one another. We can pray with one another. We can read the Bible with one another. And as a part of this, uh, invest with Family Church. Unplug from the distractions of the gadgets and gizmos that we have. Invest in praying with the family. If you need resources for family prayers, let me know and we can get them to you. Another spiritual discipline that's really important is the discipline of giving financially often called tithing, this is an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord for his many blessings. Money is the muscle of ministry. It's the oil for the engine. It gets things done. And now in this time of crisis, our ability to keep the lights on, to maintain our contact through technology, our ability to help others is all the more important. And while we are working on a way for you to give online and through text, Uh, I encourage you to mail your tithes and your offerings directly to the church. I remind folks as much as I can during this time to laugh. Laughter is so important. Laughter and humor help us cope with agonizing situations. We, We humans have this amazing capacity to find humor in the worst situations. And I think God made us this way. I think God laughs. And I think God made us to laugh and have humor. I believe laughter is the grace of God as we... Endure life in this darkened world, life under the curse of sin. Finally, I'd like to encourage everyone to follow the protocols and procedures set out by the CDC and the Presidential Task Force regarding isolation. We are made to be social, to be with others. That's absolutely true. In this current situation, though, in this current time, we're told to stay away, to stay apart, as this seems to be the most effective manner of stopping the spread of COVID-19. This brings us back to our first point. In our isolation, we need to stay connected is ever more important. With all that being said this morning, I'd like to begin our morning prayer service for March 29th, 2020, the fifth Sunday of Lent, by reading just a few verses of the hymn How Firm a Foundation. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you that for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow, for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design, thy dross to consume, and thy gold to refine. The soul that to Jesus hath fled for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell shall endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. If anyone would follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Our morning prayer service begins on page 3 of our liturgy booklets with the confession of sin. Dearly beloved, the scriptures teach us to acknowledge our many sins and offenses, not concealing them from our Heavenly Father, but confessing them with humble and obedient hearts, that we may obtain forgiveness by His infinite goodness and mercy. We ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before Almighty God, but especially when we come together in His presence, to give thanks for the great benefits we have received at his hands, to declare his most worthy praise, to hear his holy word, and to ask for ourselves and others those things necessary for our life and for salvation. Therefore, come with me to the throne of heavenly grace, and let us confess our sins humbly to Almighty God. Praying together at the bottom of page 3, Let's stand together for the Invitatory. You'll find it printed at the bottom of page four. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. O come, let us adore him. Our invitatory psalm this morning will be the Jubilate, found at the bottom of page 6, taken from Psalm 100, the Be Joyful. We'll say this together in unison. O be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with a song. Be assured that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. O go your way into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and speak good of his name. For the Lord is gracious, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures from generation to generation. Please be seated. The psalm appointed for today is Psalm 130, More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We respond to the reading of the psalm with the Gloria. Together, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was at the beginning is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, beginning at the first verse. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We respond this morning to the reading of God's word with the Tadeum Laudamus. You'll find it printed on page 8. We praise you, O God. And let's say this together. We praise you, O God. We acclaim you as Lord Throughout the world, the Holy Church acclaims you, Father of majesty unbounded, your true and only Son, worthy of all praise, the Holy Spirit, advocate and guide. You, Christ, are the King of glory, the eternal Son of the Father. When you took our flesh to set us free, you humbly chose the virgin's womb. You overcame the sting of death and opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. You are seated at God's right hand in glory. We believe that you will come to be our judge. Come then, Lord, and help your people. bought with the price of your own blood. And bring us with your saints to glory everlasting. We turn now to the reading of the gospel, the holy gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. John, the 11th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us respond to the reading of the gospel as we prepare our hearts for the preaching of the sermon by saying together the Benedictus est Domine, a song of praise, at the top In the high vault of heaven, glory to you. Glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will praise you and highly exalt you forever. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come and overrule and overwhelm. Overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing, that join together, though we are far apart, join together in worship of God, Join together in the submission of our lives to the Word of God. Join together in the hearing of this Word. Holy Spirit, you would be at work. Come and grant us your grace. Come and transform our lives. Come and give us hope. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're standing, please be seated. If you're seated, please remain seated. One of the worst things that we humans can ever experience is hopelessness. The feeling as if there is no hope in a situation is absolutely horrific, isn't it? I'm sure that I'm not alone in experiencing something of feeling hopeless, as if things were spinning out of control, as if there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Hopelessness is horrible. Hopelessness is horrific. In an article about a culture of despair and the rise of depression and suicide, author Aaron Karate writes, Over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he's suffering, nor whether he is rich or poor. The most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. The man without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide, Kiraethi writes. Hope cannot be delivered by medical prescription, yet we know it is essential for mental health. Hope allows us to live today, here and now, even as it orients us toward the future. Those who survived the Nazi concentration camps later recalled that death camp prisoners knew whenever a fellow prisoner had abandoned the last vestiges of hope, that despair could be seen in his eyes and countenance in the very way that he carried himself. In time, the prisoners developed a name for such people, The Walking Dead. Before long, the person who had lost hope would stop eating or drinking, would come down with a terminal infection, or would straggle and be shot. He writes, We cannot live without hope. In two of the Bible passages that we read this morning, we come face to face with hopeless situations. More accurately put, in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, and John chapter 11, God comes face to face with hopeless situations. And in these two passages of scripture, we see this big idea. God is the master over hopeless situations. Only he can give life to the dead. The Valley of Dry Bones is a a well-known apocalyptic vision in which God shows Ezekiel a symbolic reality and then interprets for him what is being symbolized. A valley of dry bones, they were very dry, dead and decomposed, picked over by vultures and other carrion birds. Physically dead, absent of life, but being very dry, there is the twin reality of a spiritual death as well. There was no physical life, nor in these dry bones was there spiritual life. And in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 11, God interprets what these bones, these very dry bones, what they are. He says to Ezekiel, son of man, that's just sort of his favorite nickname for Ezekiel in the, in the whole book of Ezekiel. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. The house of Israel, the entirety of the kingdom of Israel, had received God's judgment for their idolatry. They are the dry bones, hopeless, cut off, and not alive. They are dead. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, as Moses prepared the people of Israel to cross into the promised land, he said, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And in that chapter, The curses, the the judgment of God upon the idolatry and the unfaithfulness of Israel are laid out. He, He says in verse 25, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall be a horror to all the kings of the earth, and your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And he says in verse 64, and the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end to the earth, of the earth to the other. Unfortunately, these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 28 pretty much sum up the history of Israel. They enter into the promised land, they establish a kingdom, and they chased after gods that had not delivered them. They chase after gods that had not called them. They chased after gods that did not bless them or give them the land or give them the law. They were unfaithful to the Lord. They were unfaithful to Yahweh. They disobeyed His voice. They did not keep His covenant. And so, they received exactly what God promised. And you can read this historical narrative for yourself in First and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, First and Second Chronicles. In the year 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by Assyria, and the people were scattered because of their idolatry. In the year 587 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and the temple were destroyed by the armies of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and the people were carried into exile as a result of their idolatry. Their land gone, their temple destroyed, cut off from one another. I think we can imagine why the whole house of Israel proclaims our hope is lost. But in this vision, God declares to Ezekiel and he declares to the dry bones of Israel what he will do. And God reveals himself to be the master over hopeless situations. He reveals himself to be the giver of life to the dead. Now we want to be careful as we look at this vision and as we seek to understand it. We want to be careful because we don't want to go beyond what God himself says. And so we want to look at the interpretation before we look at the vision first, right? God interprets the vision for Ezekiel and for us in verses 11 through 14. After identifying the dry bones as Israel, he then tells Ezekiel, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So God is declaring his intent. Now, this is after he's shown the vision to Ezekiel, but he's explaining what he has shown in saying this is going to be a national restoration of the kingdom, or the people of Israel. The regathering of the people. The restructuring and the restoring of the people in the land. So let's look at the vision then. You know, Ezekiel is plopped down into the middle of a valley full of dry bones. Ezekiel is asked by God, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds, rightly so, leaning into the power and the sovereignty of God. Any human notion that these dried up bones could live because of human authority, human power, human fix-it, human creativity is absolutely preposterous. But Ezekiel knows the one to whom he speaks, and so he responds appropriately, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel was told to preach. He was told to prophesy to the bones uh, with this command to give. Hear the word of the Lord. The word that is proclaimed is God's intent to give back hope, to bring the dead to life. And Ezekiel obeyed. He did as he was commanded, and he saw the bones come together. Just as an aside this morning, we have to recognize that there is power in God's word, isn't there? There is power in God's word to renew and to remake us as God uses his word to change lives, to give hope, to give life. Ezekiel proclaimed the word of God and he watched as sinews and flesh grew and covered these skeleton bones. He watched decomposition in reverse. But there was no breath in them. In verse 8, there was no breath in them. And so for the second time, Ezekiel receives a command to prophesy. This time he summons the breath, the wind, the ruach. He calls the breath, the wind, the ruach to breathe on these slain that they may live. And just as Adam was physically formed and not truly alive until he received the breath of God in Genesis chapter 2, so here this physically formed army was not alive until the breath came into them. To a people overwhelmed with despair. To a people without hope. To a people dried up and broken down. To a people who were dead. God is declaring his intention to give life. His intention to restore. His intention to renew. His intention to recreate. To a people who were scattered. You will be my people, he says. To a people far from home. You will have a home, God declares. To a people who are dead, you will live, God promises. And God keeps his promise. The people of Israel were allowed to return to the promised land in 539 BC by the Edict of Cyrus. They were allowed to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and its walls. They were allowed to rebuild the temple. They were restored. But even then, something was lacking. Even when the temple was rebuilt, the glory of God did not return as it had previously. God's presence was not felt. More was wanted. More was needed. The dry bones were not yet alive. The more comes in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. The Incarnation of the eternal second person of the Trinity. In John chapter 11, we once again find a hopeless situation, again involving death. Once again, we see that God is the master over hopeless situations. Only he can give life to the dead. Whereas Israel suffered destruction as judgment for their idolatry and sin, Lazarus dies not because of his own sin, but because as a human, he lived under the curse of sin, which is death. And like all who have ever lived under the curse of sin, Lazarus was Helpless to defeat death. Even more, Jesus specifically tells his disciples that Lazarus' illness will not end in death so that he might be glorified through it. But when Jesus arrives in Bethany, there is a quiet resignation uh, to the hopelessness and the finality of death. We're told that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. By any possible metric of measurement, Lazarus was dead and while it is true, his decomposition and desiccation were not yet to the point of the dry bones of Ezekiel chapter 37. Lazarus had no hope of life. According to David Stern, there, is a <coughs> excuse me, there was a known practice of checking dead bodies for the first three days of their passing. You know, 2,000 years ago, in an effort to ensure that they had buried someone who was really dead, the body would be checked for three days to make sure that it was death and not a coma that the loved one was experiencing. When Jesus arrived, it was the fourth day. According to Jewish tradition, the soul of a deceased person hung around its body, hoping to return for three days after death. On the fourth, de- fourth day, decomposition of the body had begun, and then the soul would depart, no longer being able to recognize its physical face. When Jesus proposed to roll away the stone of Lazarus' tomb, it was the fourth Day Lazarus, by the standards of Martha and Mary and those who mourned with them, Lazarus was as hopeless as the dry bones of Ezekiel's valley. He had no hope of life, he had begun to smell the stink of decay. There was no coma, his soul and their tradition had departed. He was four days dead, no hope, but there was Jesus. Listen again to the exchange between Jesus and Martha. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is reflecting the belief in resurrection at that time. While not held by all Jewish people, there was a vague belief in a general resurrection of God's righteous people at the end of time. Passages found in such places as Daniel 12, Hosea 6 and 13, maybe Psalm 16, Psalm 49, Psalm 73 can be understood in that way. But what does Jesus say to this grieving sister who's looking forward to the sort of general resurrection of the righteous? Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus takes Martha's general and sort of ambiguous belief and he personalizes it. Jesus makes the connection for her. He is God's power over death. He is the one who can call life out of death, undo the effects of death, and even destroy death itself. Her general hope in God and God's power over death has come in flesh and stands right in front of her. And notice this also. The resurrection and the life aren't just for a vaguely defined righteous people, but for individuals who what? Who believe in Jesus. To all who live, Jesus offers true life, true life in the present. To all who die, Jesus offers resurrection. To all who are dying, Jesus offers life. To the hopeless and the helpless, Jesus offers true hope and true help. He offers himself. I love what author D.A. Carson writes when he says, In the Bible, death is an enemy, and it can be a fierce one. It is ugly. It destroys relationships. It is to be feared. It is repulsive. There is something odious about death. Never pretend otherwise. But Carson goes on to say this, But death does not have the last word. Thank God for a Savior who could claim, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus went to his friend's tomb deeply moved, troubled, angry even, at death which had invaded creation, because he was and he is the giver of life. Jesus came into the world as the resurrection and the life in order to destroy death, and behind death the one who has power of death. Jesus went to the tomb of his friend, deeply moved and troubled, ready for battle, ready to give life and defeat death. Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus as the only hope for a man who is lying beyond hope to give God glory and to bring people to faith as he makes the man four days dead alive. As the command of his, at the command of his master, at the call of the one who gives life, Lazarus, the dead man, got up and walked out. Like Lord God in Ezekiel chapter 37, Jesus in John chapter 11 is master over a hopeless situation, and he gives life to the hopelessly dead. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does because this is what God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, do together. This is what God is all about. He gives life. He gives life to the hopelessly dead, even those hopelessly dead, while they are still alive. Jesus is the more the people of Israel desired and longed for. Jesus offers the completion of the promise of Ezekiel 37, as it is only through Jesus that the dead can find life and receive the promised Spirit of God. God is the master over hopeless situations. Only he can give life to the dead. Now, what are some implications for us this morning? Well, as humans living under the curse of sin, we have to recognize that we must be concerned about two deaths. We must be concerned about our physical death and the hereafter because we will all die. But we must also be concerned about a death that we have already died. More than likely, statistics show us that more than likely, you will survive the current pandemic of the coronavirus. But will you survive the virus of sin that destroys both body and soul? The St. Paul writes about the normal human condition in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's no coincidence that Paul uses the image of death to describe the fallen human condition. In our natural selves, even while we may have breath in our lungs, we are in reality dead with no hope for life. We are dead men walking. Nothing we can do can give us true life, abundant life. In our sin, we are as dead as the bones in the valley. We are as dead as Lazarus in his tomb. The world has trouble with this concept because we don't typically give much thought or care to our spiritual lives. We really sl- we li- really live split lives, often focusing on the physical far more than the spiritual. And so because our bodies feel alive, we don't give much thought to the other part of life. And yet it's at times like these, as a pandemic surrounds our globe, as family, friends, and neighbors are infected with a virus that can kill the body, oftentimes we are forced to think, More deeply about the nature of life and spiritual things. We really are dead men walking, and like those bones scattered about the valley of Ezekiel's vision, like Lazarus in the tomb, we have no hope of life. No hope of life because in our sin, we cannot do and will not do what is necessary for life. We have no hope. But there is Jesus. And as we've seen throughout our passages for today, God is the master over hopeless situations. Only he can give life to the dead. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 4, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Notice with me, it is God who makes the dead alive. It is God who gives life. It is an act of grace, an act of unmerited favor. It's something that can't be bought or earned, but only given and received. It is God who makes the dead alive through Jesus. The dead are made alive with Christ. Paul equates salvation with being made alive, and this is important for us to hear. Being saved by God in Christ Jesus is more than just the forgiveness of sins. It is that, but it is being made alive. And facing this sort of reality of spiritual death leads us to a reality about the second death. Born under the curse of sin, death is real, but death itself has been conquered and there is a physical life after death to come. Being made alive in Christ assures us of the resurrection that is to come, the gift of life at the hands of the crucified, risen, ascended, and returning Jesus. What's my point here today? Because of the crucified and risen Jesus, we can have hope before our sins, and we can have hope before the threat of death. Because God is the master over hopeless situations, only he can give life to the dead. Because of Jesus, we have hope for today because we can have life today. Because of Jesus, we have a hope for tomorrow because he has conquered sin, death, hell, and evil. Israel in exile had hope because of God. Now in our time of exile, Israel's hope is coming to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and we have hope because of him. God is the master over hopeless situations. Only God can bring the dead to life. If you feel today as if life is out of control, spinning away from you, if you feel hopeless, I urge you, turn to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is Lord over hopeless situations the giver of life to the dead. And I've said these things to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In response to our sermon, as we prepare to offer our prayers, let us stand together and say the Apostles' Creed. You'll find it printed on the middle of page 10. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. the life everlasting amen the lord be with you and with your spirit let us pray i invite you to adopt a posture of prayer you can be seated or kneel as we pray this morning lord have mercy christ have mercy lord have mercy our prayers begin as we say together the prayer that our lord and savior jesus taught us our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our supplications are on the middle of page 11 this morning. O Lord, show your mercy upon us and grant us your salvation. O Lord, guide those who govern us and lead us in the way of justice and truth. Clothe your ministers with righteousness and let your people sing with joy. O Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord, and defend us by your mighty power. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, take not your Holy Spirit from us. Let us pray for those whom we know and love, who are in need of healing of all kinds. We pray this morning by name for Doc, Jane, Sally, Keith, Doris, Nancy, Vets, Joe, Marlene, Nathaniel, Jack Ryan, Judy, Seth, Kathy, Brant, Helen, Joyce, Melissa, June, Hal, Mike, Sue, Bob, Sally, and we pray for the church at Liberty Square. I encourage you to invite names that I have not said. On this fifth Sunday of Lent, we pray this call-out. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely surely there be fixed with true joys, are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We offer prayers, special prayers, specific prayers to uh, the crisis that we are now facing. We want to pray for those who are ill. We want to pray for those who are caring for the ill. We want to pray for the economy and those who are affected by a loss of work first we pray for a time of social distress increase o god the spirit of neighborliness among us that in peril we may uphold one another in suffering tend to one another and in homelessness loneliness or exile befriend one another grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciplines and testing of these days are ended, and you again give peace in our time, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray for the recovery of those who are sick. Almighty and immortal God, giver of life and health, we implore your your mercy for your servants, that by your blessing upon them, and upon those who minister to them with your healing gifts, they may be restored to health of body and mind, according to your gracious will, and may give thanks to you and your holy church through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we pray for the recovery of those who are ill, we pray for those in the medical profession. Almighty God, whose blessed Son Jesus Christ went about doing good and healing all manners of sickness and disease among the people, continue in our hospitals his gracious work among us. Console and heal the sick. Grant to the physicians, nurses, and assisting staff wisdom and skill, diligence and patience, Prosper their work, O Lord, and send down your blessing upon all who serve the suffering through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray for trustfulness in times of worry and anxiety. Most loving Father, you will us to give thanks for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of you, and to cast all our care on the one who cares for you, who cares for us. Preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties. And grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal, and which you have manifested unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we turn to pray for commerce, for industry, and for those who may find themselves unemployed. O Lord Jesus Christ, in your earthly life, you shared our toil and hallowed our labor. Guide those who maintain the commerce and industries of this land and give to all who labor pride in their work, a just reward and joy both in supplying need and in serving you, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, world without end. Heavenly Father, we remember before you those who suffer want and anxiety from lack of work. Guide the people of this land so to use our public and private wealth that we may find suitable and fulfilling employment and receive a just reward for their labor. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We offer this prayer. You'll find it printed in page 12 of your booklet, the prayer for Sunday. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by his victory. Forgive our sins. Banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will and steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day, through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray this prayer for mission. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth, and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold, pour out your Spirit upon all flesh, and hasten the coming of your kingdom, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final prayer for this morning is found written on page 14 of the worship booklet. It is the General Thanksgiving. Let us say this prayer together. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit the honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. All of our problems, we send to the cross of Christ. All of our difficulties, we send to the cross of Christ. All the devil's works, we send to the cross of Christ. And all of our hopes, we set on the risen Christ. May Christ, the Son of Righteousness, shine upon you and scatter all the darkness from before your path. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. That concludes our morning prayer service for Sunday, March 29th. May God bless you and keep you.